Hello and welcome to a new podcast called Tapeheads, 80s Music and Beyond. Hello there, I am Blaine. I'm Todd in Portland, Oregon. Phoenix for me. And we're going to do a podcast uh, today that we will talk about some songs that we have liked throughout our lives and we are children of the 80s. We are. And probably thinking that you guys, a lot of you guys are children of the 80s as well. And I guess maybe you like to relive your childhood or you like to really think about some of the songs as you were a kid and, and what, what you really liked about them and maybe what you didn't like. I mean, we'll probably talk about songs that we think are terrible <laughs> and uh, you may disagree with us, but uh, you may agree as well. That's life. There you go. So anyway, yeah, some, uh, today, of these, some of these may be one hit wonders. They may be new to us. Someone may request one of them. They're like, oh, well, we never heard of that one. We'll look into it. And, then it, and we may even talk about some movies as well. We might. Or a video game. Yeah. Like Alex Kidd in Miracle World. <laughs> <laughs> or Gorf. There you go. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so uh, today we're going to talk about the first song that was released from the new incarnation of Yes. Are we? Yes. So... Yes had released an album called Drama, and I think that was released in 1980. Is that correct? It was. And they had a new singer, but um, they had, I think the rest of the band was all pretty much the same as the 70s. I think they had, they did have a different uh, keyboardist. Keyboard player. It was the singer and the <clears throat> keyboard player from the Buggles, Trevor Horn yes. and Jeff Downs. Exactly. And um, anyway... Steve Howe, who was a guitarist in that band, he left. So the band was looking for a new singer and a new guitarist. And the record company told them about a gentleman from South Africa named Trevor Rabin. And he kind of fit into both of those things. He sang, he was a songwriter, and a very good guitarist. So he brought to the band. This is the first song that was released uh, with the, as the new new yes, and it was. Uh, Owner of a lonely heart, which turned out to be the biggest hit that they ever ever had. Right, still to this day. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, by far. So yeah, when they before they ever did any of this, they just had a bunch of the Trevor had a bunch of these demos floating around, and he got together with Chris Squire, and they would play together. And both of them have said in interviews and whatever that they have said that both of the two of them in interviews have said that it sounded terrible, but it felt fantastic. So somehow they managed to transcend all the weirdness and just think, wow, this could be a thing, even though it sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah, and so like you were saying. Trevor did come with some demos of some songs. And Owner of a Lonely Heart was just one of those songs. Right. And I have... Oh, that's excellent. I'm so glad you have this. 
The demo versions are so good. So, I mean, this sounds exactly like the album version of this song. Yeah, the skeleton of it's there. So, like you were talking about, Trevor Horn was producing this album. And he was actually the singer on the previous album. The album before this drama. So they got into the studio, and here is a version of the song, which is another demo. Oh, now we've joined Super Freak by Rick James. Just took a turn. Yeah. A lot of cowbell in there. Yeah. Just like uh, Bruce Dickinson loves. Don't argue with him. You got a fever and there's only one cure. Little cowbell. So this sounds a little bit different, but, I mean, still it sounds like... And I think that Trevor did this in his home studio. I don't think this was done with the rest of the band. No, it was not. There is a funny album. I think this is from that. There's a funny album out floating around out there called 90124, The Demos, which is all these demos for this album. That's, and yeah, them, I have that album. That's, that's what, where I that's got That's what this is? Okay. So, yeah, some of them sound exactly like the real songs that were released, and some of them sound oh, hilarious. Listen, to this, like listen to this part. one-way ticket and you ain't gonna stay (laughs) (laughs) oh man that's rock and roll right there so I came across a funny to bring it back around to Trevor Horn and how he got working with these guys Uh they uh, when he got together with Trevor and listened to all these demos probably that demo that we just played um, and they were listening and uh so Trevor got up, he said he put on the song. Trevor Horn said that Trevor Rabin put on the song and then went up to go to the bathroom and uh, left the song playing. And while Trevor was in the bathroom, Trevor Horn was like, wow, that chorus is really, that's a hit chorus. And I don't know about the verses, but oh, the chorus is solid. We can do something with that. So even from this very beginning, like the production, it kind of set the tone for the whole rest of the album. So one of the things that was a little bit different about this song is they had, um, and I don't know if Trevor Horn maybe owned this, but they had a Fairlight. Yes, Trevor did own that. <clears throat> okay. So a Fairlight, I mean, guys, this is back in, when did this album come out? 82? 83. 83. So this was a computer back in 83 that could play music, and it was actually a sampler. And inside the sampler, they had a whole bunch of things. And one of the things that they had was like this orchestral hit. And I can't remember what the name of that specific patch was. I think that's just what it's called. Okay. So that's how they had actually used, I think, the drum part. Uh, There's some drum hits in in there that came off the Fairlight. And as well as those orchestral, orchestral hits in there to add to the song. And so... Trevor Rabin didn't probably have access to that at his home. Um, he probably had some some simple keyboards. Um, you know, he wasn't this rich guy, you know. Um, of course, he would become that. And um, 
anyway, they had this fair light, and so they would use it in the studio. And you're saying that Trevor Horn owned that, so he brought this to, to yes. the production team. And uh, so this this song, of course, is going to have a lot of Trevor Horn in it that's not just the songwriters or what Chris Squire and Alan White and Tony Kay and Trevor Rabin would be able to come up with. Um, I have a couple things uh, of this song that I actually found. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. While you're finding that, I can talk about the Fairlight. The Fairlight is kind of amazing. Sure. It's like the early, it's an early sampler, but you can also do things visually on it. Like you can only start to do within the last, you know, couple decades here now. Like you can, you can visually pull, you can see a sample of like a drum and you can stretch it out visually. I mean, that was way, nobody, no one could do that at the time, but the Fairlight was the and first. And they, they had uh, extremely tempos. expensive. And- they had tempos and and uh, measures and all that stuff in there yeah, as well. Yeah, nothing else had that. That was forty and, years ago, and it had a, had a uh, <laughs> a synthesizer keyboard built into it as well, and so they could play the notes off of it. Right, it was this whole modular thing. Like the computer was matched to the synthesizer, matched to this little oh, this whole tower full of effects and boards and everything, <laughs> and it was like twenty thousand dollars, nineteen eighty. So I had found a multi-track of this song, and I pulled some of the keyboard stuff oh, off of sweet. it. Um, okay, so there's there's some orchestral hits right there mm-hmm. from the Fairlight. The real famous one is the... Yeah. That sounded like guitar to me. It was, yeah. There it is. Orchestra hit. So those kind of things were put in put in uh sporadically with the guitars that Trevor Rabin would put in there. I remember seeing a long time ago, I remember seeing an interview with Trevor about this guitar sound. It's like the very first, when you, he had he bought this little effect thing for his guitar, and he's like, the very first sound, you turn it on, it comes up with that. It's this gigantic reverb, and he's like, man, when am I ever going to use that? It sounds horrifying. And no, he ended up banging around on it, and sure enough, came up with a riff, and that's the riff for Over of a Lonely Heart. <laughs> From auspicious beginnings, sometimes. So here we can hear the uh, arpeggios that he's playing. Which was very popular in the 80s with guitarists. Oh, that glassy chorus, yeah. It's hard to talk over this. I just want to sit and listen to it all. But we have to talk, don't we? It is a podcast. <laughs> oh, it's so great you found those. Move yourself. You always live your life. Never thinking of the future. Prove yourself. You are the move you make. Take your chances, win or loser. See yourself. 
So it sounds like there's a little double track in there. This is John Anderson. Now, of course, uh, let me let me let me pause here for a second. So I forgot to talk about that. John Anderson came in to listen to some of the stuff that they were doing, and at this time he was not involved with Yes. He goes, "Oh, or I can't <clears throat> falsetto anymore because of my age." But uh, he's like, "Hey, brother, that sounds like a really good song." He sounds a lot like Hulk Hogan. John Anderson does. I'm not exactly. I'm not exactly sure how he plied himself into this, but you know, he said, "Hey, do you mind if I sing on some of these tracks?" And and of course, Chris Squire. You know, I'm sure he wanted him back in the band. And I don't know how Trevor felt about this, actually, because I think they were all into it. I thought I've seen a couple things that uh, Trevor and Chris and Alan were playing together, and then I mean, John was still floating around, kind of. You no, know, their friends. He and Chris were still friends. And Chris is like, hey, we started working on this new thing. Maybe, you know, you want to hear this? And John's like, oh, this is really great. I'm like, well, maybe we can find a place for you in this. So at the time, Project John. at the time before John had come in, they were doing this under the band name Cinema because they weren't really yes. I think they had tried uh, working with um, Jimmy Page at one one time and they were thought they would, oh, they wow. thought they would call themselves um, Yes, Why, or yes z x x yes z or something like that you know doing the play on the yes and zeppelin um but but like you're saying john anderson came in and 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 he kind of wanted to get in on this whole thing these guys were doing and so they said yes and uh what did they say you yes are the step you take you and you and that's the only way shake I love hearing his voice without any reverb on it. I mean, it's just so clear. His voice is so distinctive and amazing. I like hearing Trevor singing there. Yeah. There. So, it sounds like he was keeping... The Trevor doing the chorus and John coming in with this different verse. And and I don't know if, if John came up with the, with the melody for this. I would think he probably did. I don't know. I think I think before a level, the stuff I saw in the last looking through a bunch of interviews with Trevor Horn, sound like he kind of helped with a lot of the, the verses too. Did he? Because he had been a singer and he knew how to write pop songs, so he kind of jumped in and he and Trevor kind of wrote those. Trevor and Trevor kind of wrote those, and they they kind of finished the song and then they gave it to John to to uh, kind of put his little spin on. But actually, they had a hard time because when they got the record deal, it was with the Trevor songs without John, and so the, the songs were kind of finished already. And then they tried to lock John in. It's like, well, John wanted to do his free flowing thing like he usually does. And they're like, well, John, we kind of want you to kind of sing it this way because this is the way we got our record deal, so we want it to be that way. And John's like, I don't know, brother. I don't sing that way. <laughs> I just want to float over. Don't fence me in or whatever. You wouldn't think his voice sounds like that. You'd think it'd be higher, but no. It sounds like Hulk Hogan. It's a surprise. But yeah, so they tried to lock him in. Ah, oh, just sounds so good. 
This is where all the keyboard hits are. Right. That's all the fairlight. Yeah. That's all fairlight. John Anderson was like, hey, brother, that sounds really good. I sure do like that fairlight. <laughs> That's weird how much he sounds like Hulk Hogan. So I wonder if they use the fairlight on drama. I don't know. I don't know either. I actually went and listened to that recently, and it, I don't hear I, it's To me, that just sounds like yes, like classic yes, 70s yes. Yeah. It doesn't sound like, well, and also Jeff Downs was the keyboard player for that. So Trevor Horn wouldn't have needed to be that involved because it was more Jeff. Correct. So, yeah, it still feels like 1970s, yes, instead of this, which is polished pop. One thing we need to discuss in the story of this album and the story of this incarnation of yes is dumps. And I'm talking like the kind of dumps you take. This is not the sort of thing we are probably ever going to talk about in this context of a band. But the reason I am is because Trevor Rabin took us there. So we're going to go there. You want to hear it now? Sure. I need to dump, but there's no time. I don't need to dump. There's numerous, and what numerous is that from? interviews. Oh, did you, have, did you have that other one? I, I do, yeah. Time to dump. Free <laughs> gig dump. <laughs> See, it's like, no other, I don't know of any other bands that, that will discuss this on camera so much, but he's always dropping that. And even, you know, remember when uh, he met with Trevor Horn <laughs> to play Owner of a Lonely Heart and all those demos, he turned on the tape and then got up in the other room to go to the bathroom. Trevor Horn specifically said that. Oh, did he? So, yes. So, you know, <laughs> Trevor he, left the tape Trevor playing, Rabin when... may have IBS. <laughs> if he does, and I'm going to feel like a jerk. Because, but... you know, you go out at the forum at the time. How many people were, were at the foreman? Foreman, the forum. Yeah, I don't know, sixty thousand, no, whatever. No, no idea. And if you have IBS, if you, if Craft Services brings you pre-show lasagna or <laughs> macaroni and cheese with beef in it, and if you have IBS before the show, you may have a problem in the middle of the show. And nobody and wants that. I, and I don't know how long of a drum solo can go on while Trevor Rabin runs off stage to take a dump. That's why he would do the pre pre gig dump. Hmm. And what is that from? That was from. That a, is from. That's there's a <laughs> there's a there's a documentary called nine zero one yes nine zero one two five yes nine zero one two five and it's filmed by Steven Soderbergh. Wow. So look, look that up on YouTube. You know, when we become more professional, we'll be like, we'll just put a link in the description of this episode. For now, you got to look it up on your own. The pre-gig dump. Anyway, pre so gig dump. they uh, ended up doing a whole album of songs, and this album has great songs on it, guys. Changes is one of my favorites of all time. City of Love. Leave It. Um, leave It. Yeah. And some versions of this album, there's an acapella version of Leave It on it. Um, uh, what's the other song about charge the common ground? Uh, charge the common ground. Hold on. Anyway, this album is just completely filled 
with great songs. And this was the newest incarnation of Yes. And there were a lot of Yes fans that did not like it. They did not like the direction this band was going in. But it did bring Yes back into the fold and enabled it to continue on. Even to this day, There's there was a few years ago two versions of Yes touring at the time. Really? Yes. <laughs> I could see how old. this album could be shocking if you are a fan of the 70s, yes, where it's kind of like amorphous and, you know, like very noodly, lots of notes and lots of symphonic elements and time changes and stuff. And if you're expecting that and you hear this album, I mean, well, I could see why it could be. Changes really... had weird time in it. It was. Uh, yes, yes. And so does 7 similar. 8. 11 8, what was it? I don't remember. Yeah. I think it's 7 8, 11 8. Weird time signature. But, uh, and, and Trevor Rayburn, I don't know if Trevor Rayburn was trying to appeal to the old Yes fans because in the album Big Generator, he also did some weird time signatures and some kind of uh, stuff like uh, shoot high, aim low. I guess that's not a weird time signature. But, not a weird. But uh, is. Definitely a weirder album. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then in Talk, you know, the whole Endless Dream uh, Talk song. That's got mm-hmm. weird time signatures in it. So I think that he understood, yes, and how they were in the 70s and how there was still a lot of fans. And they appreciated that prog-ness of, of what yes was. And so he, he gave that to people, which he didn't ever have those on any of his other albums before. I actually have a friend who was in L.A. for some reason, and he's like, oh, I'm going to be in L.A. I'm going to look up Trevor Rabin. So looked him up on the internet. Found the address, drove over there, parked outside his house, like kitty corner, not directly in front, but like kitty corner across the street, just hung out there for a little bit. And then while he's sitting there, Trevor's wife comes walking out with the garbage, puts it in the, (laughs) puts it in the trash can, goes back in the house. And I think that's when my friend is just like, all right, what am I doing here? I got to get out. (laughs) What am I doing? I got to go. Yeah, we left. We left right after that. You know what? what? And come to think of it, I it could have been the housekeeper. I don't know. <laughs> but I do feel bad about it. I didn't knock on his door or anything. No, no, but did, did but you had your family with you. I did have my family with me, yes. <laughs> what did they say? Like where are we going? Uh, yeah, are we they don't this? know they didn't know what we were doing. Yeah, well why would they like well I really like this guy's guitar playing ever since nineteen eighty three. He's been like my favorite guitar I player. I really wanted to see where Can't Look Away was recorded. <laughs> I'm sure the family was riveted too. Hey, that place there. See, look, there's Jacaranda. Look at that house. This just looks like a regular house. <laughs> it's not like, you know, up in the hills. Or, I don't know where it is. Where is it in the hills? I don't know. Just I imagine because he's not a super rich guy. He wouldn't be living like, you know, Paris Hilton or something. Correct. Just a regular house in a regular neighborhood. I'm sure it's nice, but, you know, it's not like, ooh, we got to put this on the Hollywood star tour or whatever. Well, did, when they played, and I don't know this, uh, I didn't see any of this kind of stuff, but did they play on the 90125 tour? Did they, they still must have played old songs, right? They did. So on he the, would, yes, on he 90125, he did uh, some great versions of some of those songs. Absolutely. Yeah, they would have had to do a lot of that stuff. Yeah. So he would have had to learn it and he would have tried to, certainly by Big Generator, which is the album after this, like he'd be kind of incorporating a bunch of that stuff and he'd have internalized it a lot yeah. to play it so much. So yeah. And, and, and he and Steve how the 70s guitarist, yes, did not get along. And even when they joined together with the Union uh, thing in the uh, early 90s, 
I came across a funny video of them playing together, and it's kind of like they're they're sharing the same stage, but they're not even looking at each other. Yeah, it's and really they're, weird. They're, play, they're they're playing the same song. It'd be like then, if uh, David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar got up and <laughs> did Sammy did uh, Van ha- Van Halen songs together and uh, kind of traded off. And yeah, not gonna happen. And then Gary Sharon comes in and is like, "Hey guys, what's up?" He man, woman he hater. He, he didn't. He didn't do that. No. Uh, but yeah, there's one. There's a video. He I didn't saw have enough Trevor, time. Trevor and Steve Howe were playing together on stage, and they're not even looking at each other. They're not really interacting with each other. But Trevor goes over to Chris, and they're playing right next to each other, and they're like locking their legs together and everything, and they're just really rocking out. Yeah. And like Steve Howe's just over there, completely on the other side of the stage. Yeah, I, I don't. You know, I'm not gonna bag on Steve Howe because he is a great guitarist. And he, he did a lot of great songs in the 70s. For sure, yeah. I didn't mean But he's just a not a nice, so. he's not a nice person. Um, you know, I hear people talking about meeting him, you know, pre-shows at the VIP stuff, and he's just not friendly. He does not ever let people touch his hands. Um, and I can kind of understand that because he makes his living with his hands. But uh, just not if a it was. Not if it nice was pre-show, person. had he not had a chance to take a dump yet? I mean, maybe that. Well, was it. that could have been that, and, and if that was it, then I I really feel sorry, feel bad that I just brought that up because yeah. I don't have a right to do that if he was indeed in need of a, a dump. Yeah, we hope that Steve's bowels are in good working order. So, uh, if you have any any of your little thoughts on owner of a lonely heart, you know, go ahead and send them to us. Because we like to hear from We're not our... sure quite how you'll do that yet, but there'll be an email address <laughs> or a website or a uh, Instagram profile, some sort of thing. We'll, we'll sort all that out. MySpace. <laughs> Friendster. Friendster. Yes. Anyway, so owner of yeah, a lonely so heart. Hope, hope you learned a little bit about Yes and about their uh, pre-gig routines. And I, you know, we'll see how many times dumps come up in talking about other bands. Probably not a lot. Not probably not a lot. But if they do, we'll be sure to tell you about them. Yes, sir. Did we, did we have a movie review that we wanted to do or just a recommendation? Um, sure. Uh, what was a movie that you watched, uh, from the eighties, not too long ago? I watched war games. It was, uh, Matthew Broderick's. Oh, not his first movie. His first lead. I think it was. Yeah. When he was like really Ali Sheedy. Ali Sheedy. Galaga. Hello. Uh, yes, Galaga. What's his name? Dabney Coleman. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, great movie. Very and fun. the guy that Pace, the raw corn. Excellent. This corn is raw. I know. Isn't it wonderful? Oh, you know whose first movie it was? Michael Madsen. He Tiny was uh, one of the guards, right? Yes, yes. Just barely in the beginning of the movie. Okay. But, yeah, that was his first. And I on the... Uh, if you have the DVD and you get to see the director's commentary, they talk all about that. That anytime Michael Madsen comes up in a movie, the director from War Games is like, hey, hey, hey I gave him his start. <laughs> Look at him now. War Games is a great movie. I went and saw that as a kid at the movie theater. And I think I was telling you this the other day. It was a dollar fifty to go see a movie as oh, a child. Wow. And, I never did um, see it in the movie. I saw or in the theater. I saw it the first time on cable. And we did not have a VCR. When did this movie come out? 83. 83. So we would have had a VCR. Same year as 90125. Ah, there you go. We had a there VCR go. in my family in 84. 
So, um, and I know I did rent this movie when it came out too. So, um, but yeah, you know, didn't have, my grandma had a VCR in 79. So whenever we would go over to her house, we would watch movies that she recorded. Like I remember the Elvis movie off of TV and, um, just just had lots of stuff and it was just like this, whoa, you can record. The, The thing was a huge, it was an RCA select division <laughs> so if you want to look this up rca select division the thing was probably three and a half feet wide it was probably a foot tall and it was probably a foot and a half deep and it had piano keys you know for play start rewind there's oh, no wow there was no search on the thing and the things were one thousand dollars when they came out so you had to really like TV. Of course, oh man, cable, I don't know if they had cable back in 79, but there was a not really a lot a lot of things. So if you know, you could record your shows while you were out working or whatever, um, you know, could watch it at I my grandma's about, house. I don't know about your grandma. My grandma was not anywhere near technically sophisticated enough to figure all that stuff well, out. How did your grandma even know about, uh, oh, I need to get a VCR now so I can record my shows and watch I them. don't know exactly how she got that, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, she wasn't technically advanced at all, but, you know, I'm sure somebody showed her how to set the thing up, and Bob's your uncle. Yeah, I know, Bob's your uncle. Well, he is my uncle, but <laughs> he had one of them, too, as a matter of fact. Well, there so, you go. So we would, we no would, wonder she knew about and it. And he lived downstairs, That's... and we would go downstairs and watch Blazing Saddles. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, so this, this kid, he, um, he's got a computer and with a modem on it, and certainly I didn't know what a modem was back then, but I mean, I saw that he stuck the, the uh, handset on the thing and was able to, but he set his computer up to call every phone number in Sunnyvale, California to try to see if he could figure out which one would answer and talk. Cause he him. wanted to, yeah, he wanted yeah, to play he, games he to for call, free. Yeah. He wanted to, he wanted to play a computer game. He wanted to hook up into a computer game company. And then he mm-hmm. accidentally somehow gets into NORAD and to like do. the computer, Joshua, and play war games with it, although it thought that he was really playing war games. And so, what was it? Certain amount of hours he was going to attack with his missiles, and he had the codes for the uh, the well, missiles. They, Matthew Broderick's character kind of they they kind of when they first logged in, they said, "Well, do you want to? Shall we play a game?" That's the famous line from the movie. Shall we play a game? Shall we play a game? Oh, and sure, yes. Let's play thermo- global thermonuclear war. And they kind of okay. Well, where and the computer would ask them, all right, where do you want to bomb? Where do you want to, you know, Seattle. Wanna, do you want to use? Do you want to use missiles? Do you want to use submarines? They're like, oh yeah, use everything. <laughs> where do you want to bomb? Well, let's start with Seattle. That's where they went. Let's start with Seattle. Oh, Las Vegas and all these places. Which side do you want? I'll be the Russians. <laughs> List primary targets. Who should we nuke first? Um, oh, let's see. How about Las Vegas? Las Vegas, great. What next? Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> so they got to set all that stuff. So the the computer set all that stuff up with them. Great movie. Yeah, totally great movie. Pacing is great. It's very fun. 
unlike a lot of other movies of the 70s and 80s, which is pacing is terrible, especially TV shows. It's got Rock Corn in it. <laughs> Ali Sheedy <laughs> as a high school yeah. girl riding on the back of a motorcycle. No, actually, he was riding. It was her motorcycle. Oh, okay. So he was riding on the back of that. Okay. Glad we sorted that out. Okay, Ali Sheedy riding on the front of a motorcycle. Golden Retriever. Perfect example of a girl getting into trouble because she's following, she's really trying to get the uh, the boy to like her. Well, who invented asexual reproduction? Your wife. <laughs> get out. <laughs> Anyway, great movie. Yes, I'm not sure where it's streaming. We can figure that out. We'll put a link in the description where you can watch that. Or you can just look it up. Yeah, sure. Go over into my house and watch it on DVD. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining us for Tape Heads, 80s Music and Beyond. Yeah, our first episode, number one, in first the can. Ep- there you go. And uh, we will be joining you a few times a month. Not uh, completely sure about that but we will we're have, still working out the deets we will have new episodes talking about new songs reminiscing about great movies from the 80s and maybe dumps maybe well thank you for listening this is Todd signing off this is Blaine signing off